Hi, I'm Chuck Stedman. And I'm Teresa Stedman. And you are listening to the Steadfast Podcast. In the Bible, we're taught, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord. This podcast is about being steadfast and immovable, even when everything around you is slipping, shifting, and changing. And nowadays, that happens a lot. But that's okay, because we know if you push forward, you can make it through. So hang on, because here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Steadfast Podcast. We all tend to, during our lives, undergo um, situations where we ask ourselves questions like, how could I have done that? Or, what in the world was I thinking? Or, boy, am I ever going to get in trouble for that one? Today we have Brother Dennis Ball with us, and he has a wonderful story of redemption and perseverance to tell. Dennis the Apostle Paul, Dennis the Apostle Paul taught in Romans, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But you relied on your faith as you consider what God told Moses. For behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. You are recommended as one having an awesome opportunity in your life to teach others about what you went through. And I believe this went through the prisoner outreach program in your state here in uh, Arizona. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe about your story? Well, my, my story, uh, like some others, started in my teenage years, uh, the little rebellion. I didn't like all of the rules that I had to follow by. And uh, it got out of hand, and I was placed in a reformatory, Fort Grant. And I, my stay there was uneventful, five months, went home, and a few weeks later, turned around and did it again. This time I went to Fort Grant, I was threatened, uh, gangs, you know, I didn't get along because I still knew all my upbringing in church, and it, it didn't agree with with the others that were there, and. Uh, I was in fear of my life, so I escaped, and I was caught, punished, and I escaped again. And the second time, they were, yeah, I made made the headlines in the newspapers. I was chased all the way from Safford to Globe, and uh, they made a big issue out of it, and they finally caught me and. In the process, uh, I wrecked the car and the car that I'd stolen in Safford. And uh, I made the mistake, I was young, I made the mistake of saying I'd rather be in prison than sit in a jail cell. So they sent me to prison. Uh, that was before, that was early back in the early 60s, and we didn't have any church programs in prison. Mm -hmm. 
So I had no opportunity to continue my church affiliation and it 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 led to other things. It sure. You know, I was influenced by the other inmates and uh I don't believe any of it was positive. There's a lot of negativity. And so when I got out of there, they tried to help me. They were, it wasn't rehabilitation, it was just incarceration. But when I left there, they gave me a, a parole, six-month parole, mm -hmm. to my parents in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And uh, I was out approximately six weeks and got in trouble again. And this time, uh, with the help of my dad, he convinced me that I, I probably needed some help. Mm -hmm. So I asked for a voluntary commitment to the mental hospital in Pueblo, Colorado. And it was granted. There was no conviction. It didn't go against my record. And I could, supposedly, I could be released whenever I decided. Mm -hmm. Didn't work that way. I had a doctor. Dr. Cole, and uh, I spent 17 months there, including getting in trouble again and going to maximum security. And when I was released, it was upon my request after Dr. Cole had me write a five-page, it's like an essay, five-page essay explaining how I felt where I was wrong, how I did something about it to change it, and what my plans were when I got out. Mm -hmm. And after completing that five-page essay, he released me. Yeah. And uh, about when was that? How many years after uh, the first encounter? That was encounter? 65, 66. 65 or 66. And all my plans went out the door when I got out. Mm -hmm. You indicated before we started uh, taping this that you had been uh, incarcerated and you actually received a degree, a college degree. That was, much as I hate to admit it, but that was the third prison term. Okay, but you were able to accomplish something good while you were behind uh, the fence, as they say. Yeah, I got in trouble in 67 and went back to prison for two years. Uh, special assignment, I was converting driver's license records for the state of Texas, called the typing pool. So yeah, it was pretty uneventful. I had no problems with other inmates because I was a special project. And then I got out of there and I was out a few months and got in trouble again. The last time I got in trouble, uh, I received a 10-year sentence. Uh, I was actually charged with habitual criminal mm -hmm. and uh, received a 10-year sentence, so I had five years flat to do as a trustee. Mm -hmm. Not everybody makes trustee. I did make trustee, and I served the five years, and during that five years, I realized that due to the influences around me, 
that the only way I was going to change my life was to get an education. So I signed up and was granted to go to college and received the AA degree before I was released. Well, congratulations. That's great. That's a great accomplishment. Now, uh, prior to uh, recording this, I had asked some of our service missionaries if they, if they would submit some questions that they would like to, me to ask in their behalf. So one of the questions uh, that was written down is, is it hard to maintain gospel standards such as daily prayer, scripture study, fasting, and church attendance while you're behind the fence? That's one I can't answer because they didn't offer the services when I was in prison. I got out the last time in 1982, and I've, I've got a clean record since. Good. But uh, the, later they started church services, and I'm sure that would have helped a lot. Okay, great. You know Brother Skousen. He's actually the person who recommended that we meet with you. And we're grateful for that opportunity. And I understand that he, at one time, was leading a, a uh, prisoner outreach um, program in the prisons. That, that was the prison ministries. Okay. And uh, he was the first counselor. Uh, we had a branch president, and he was the first counselor. I was the second counselor. Okay. Super. Well... We appreciate the information you've given so far, and we will be right back with more of Dennis's amazing story. Thanks for tuning into the show. Did you know we have lots of other content available for you to view? That's right. Go check out the Missionary Morning Show on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We release weekly episodes along with bonus content and inspirational messages. And of course, you can find the top moments from the Missionary Morning Show anywhere you get podcasts. And now, back to the show. Welcome back. We're here with Dennis Ball. And Dennis, if you don't mind, I'd like to go back uh, to some of our prior questioning. You indicated that you had been incarcerated for three times. And you mentioned the term habitual uh, criminal. criminal. Can you explain a little bit about what that was and then tell us why it was so difficult to overcome the trials that you were facing? By repeating your behavior or your, your uh, association with people that do the criminal acts, you reinforce it without the church, without uh, prayer without contact with your Heavenly Father you have no hope because the, the influences otherwise lead you in a different direction and I was susceptible to that I was you know I I liked doing things with my peers and I didn't associate with people that that were going to church. I just associated with the people that were doing the same thing I was doing. Mm -hmm. So how old were you each time that you were incarcerated? Uh, I was first incarcerated at Fort Grant at the age of 15. I was incarcerated in, in Florence, Arizona at the age of 16. And I was released at 18. And then I was re uh, the second time I went to prison was in Texas in uh, 
I was uh, 22. And in the uh, mental hospital, I was 24, 25. Mm -hmm. And and then the third time I was, I don't remember, 40. That's when I was charged with habitual criminal, and it's also when I started thinking about changing my life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew that my life was empty without the church, without my Heavenly Father, and, and the Holy Ghost. Those things tend to leave you when you're not living right. Sure. So, some of the other questions that have been passed on to me. Uh, how has your testimony of choices and agency changed? How has it changed? We all have agency and we make choices. Have you been uh, affected or have you been able to teach others about what you believe as far as uh, making proper choices? Well, since uh, taking advantage of the atonement and changing my life 23 years ago, I have looked for opportunities to reinforce my beliefs by helping others. I made a commitment 23 years ago <coughs> that I would spend <laughs> the rest of my life making amends for the people I'd hurt. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I still do that. For six years, I'd, I helped inmates getting out of prison, get adjusted, and get some of the main things done that they needed done the first day out. They, they don't have transportation or a bicycle or anything. And I furnished transportation, fed them lunch, and made sure if they had a probation officer, they made, I made sure they seen their probation officer. Some of the main things that they had to do that they could be violated for. Mm -hmm. And I'd say probably 30% of them, I gave them my personal phone number. I didn't, I didn't get a cell phone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a cell phone, but it was my personal number. I would give them my personal number and I told them, each and every one of them, I said, I don't care what time of day it is, 20, 2 o'clock in the morning. If you get in a situation that you think is going to get you in trouble, you call me, I'll come get you. Wow. That's wonderful. You know, my career was spent in law enforcement, so I was uh, with a uh, police department in Southern California, and my career spanned 24 years. And during my time as a police officer, I would speak to youth groups and I would teach them the concept of staying out of trouble. And to illustrate this point with some of the groups, I would draw a square on the chalkboard and I'd draw a stick figure in that square. And then we'd talk about some of the different things that would, uh, would interrupt their lives. So for example, alcohol was one of them. And so one of the kids would say, well, alcohol is not good and you can get yourself in trouble. So I would draw a straight line and we'd label that alcohol. And then uh, somebody else would say, well, marijuana and harmful drugs or drug abuse. And so I'd draw another line. 
Somebody would say theft, another line. Somebody would say stealing cars, another line. And so consequently, by the time we were done, we had 12 or, or 13 bars drawn in front of the stick figure. And then I would ask them, where are you? Where has this stick figure gone? And ultimately, they would say, well, it's behind bars. And then we would go into, well, let's talk about getting rid of the bars. So if you could explain, if you had that opportunity to talk to young people, how would you tell them what you would do or how you could help them get rid of each one of those bars? Well, I had something just crossed my mind when you said this, and that is, what led up to the bar itself was breaking the law. What led up to breaking the bar? I can remember how I treated other people. When somebody done something for me, most people say thank you, I didn't. To this day, I still have a problem with thanking people. I mean to thank them, I just don't think to say it. Mm -hmm. Those little things, how you treat your brother, how you treat your sister, uh, kids nowadays, a lot of them, they tattletale on each other. How about having more heart for your brother and sister instead of trying to get them in trouble? Yeah. Those things lead up to the other influences that are actually breaking the law. Mm -hmm. But once you break the law, then it gets easier to do, and you get another bar and another bar, and next thing you know, you're in jail. Sure. You know, before the action takes place of actually um, committing a crime, there are thoughts that may place a person in jeopardy of committing that crime. Right. So what would you tell somebody who had a bad thought, that they were considering doing something that would end up getting them in trouble? What would you, what would you tell that person? I'd tell them they need to reverse their thoughts. If you, if you think, uh, well, Joe's got a brand new car. I'd like to have a brand new car. Uh, I can't think of any way to get it, though. I don't have a job that would help buy the car. Uh, you know, if I happen to walk by one and see the keys, and it would be so easy just to go ahead and start it up and take it. You need to reverse the thought, you know. Somebody left their keys, look around and see if somebody's around and let them know that they left their keys in it. Mm -hmm. That's just the opposite. And, and most of us don't t tend to think that way. If we thought we'd steal a car to start with, we continue with that thought. But if you can reverse that thought, if if you're... You know, well, I hate my sister. Well, no, I love my sister. Do it, turn it around, change it. Sure. Um, how does prayer fit into helping people with their thoughts? Well, my personal opinion, and and I've, I still I do it today, is everything in life that I do today. If I feel it's a bother, I feel my thoughts are going the wrong direction. I asked my Heavenly Father to step in. So you asked yourself, did I think to pray? Uh, All the time. I think that's great counsel. And I think it's counsel that every single one of us can use. If there's a bad thought that enters into your mind, you don't want to do it. So you have to ask for some help. And I think asking our Heavenly Father is probably the number one thing we can do. I've had inmates that I helped 
uh, asked me, he said, well, how do I take charge of this or how do I change this? Or, And I said, well, the first thing, for, first and foremost, is pray about it. You may just need that little bit of help and, and the Lord will step in and give it, give it to you. Do they listen to you, some of these inmates? I have 90% of the guys that I help still out there. They didn't go back to prison. That's a, that's a great number, 90%. Well, thank you, Brother Ball. Uh, we're going to be right back with more of Dennis's story, so please tune back in. Are you looking for uplifting, wholesome entertainment and messages? Go check out the MTN, or The Mount, a platform dedicated to sharing the principles and standards of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on a global scale. View programs like The Missionary Morning Show and The Steadfast Podcast and so many more as they joyfully review these topics from new and engaging angles, giving you a new perspective on how to live a Christ-centered life. There is already so much negative in the world, so why not add in some positive? Come on, join in at missionaryteachingnetwork.com. Follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook at The MTN, The Mount. And now, back to the show. Well, welcome back. We appreciate your continuing to listen to us. Here with me is Dennis Ball. And Dennis, a little bit ago you said that you would help people in need even if they called you at 2 o'clock in the morning. So do you have any experiences along those lines? Actually, yes, I do. I have one, one of my inmates that I helped. Uh, I took him to his halfway house and got him situated. And I told him if he, if he needed help, if he was in a situation where he felt like he was going to get in trouble or he, or he needed some counseling to give me a call. I didn't care what time of day or night it was. Just call me. I'll come help. Mm -hmm. And a couple of weeks later, he called me at 2 a.m. He said, this halfway house is a bad influence. They're doing this. They're doing that. And it's just a bad environment. Can you come get me? And I said, I sure can. I'll be over there in 10 minutes. So you picked him up? I went and picked him up, and I had a travel trailer in my backyard. I hooked it up to the sewer and let him stay in it for two months till he got on his feet. Oh, good for you. That's great. That's a wonderful story, being able to uh, help those who need it. Uh, you said that uh, you had been a part of the prison ministries. You were second counselor in the branch presidency, mm -hmm. and you were released. Can you tell us a little bit about... Um, any experiences that you, that you had as second counselor? Well, when it, when I was called to that position, I asked them, they said, you're going to be the coordinator for the inmates as second counselor. And I said, well, do you have the, you got anything on paper, the guidelines, the church guidelines that I need to follow? He said, nothing other than in the handbook. And it was very vague. I read the handbook and it was so vague, I just, I did see the word help. So I decided to help and I suggested to my branch president, I think I need to pick them up when they get out of the back gate. 
-hmm. That first day out is, is, is really, really bad on all of them. I know it was on me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, that's a good idea. So they adopted the idea, and uh, I got my gas paid for. The church paid for my gas and, and lunch for me and them. And other than that, I spent my my time, my car, my vehicle. My, I had one inmate in particular that it, it took 500 miles of driving to take care of his business. Wow. And I loved every minute of it. I was able to talk to him every minute of it. We spent eight hours just nothing but talking. Wow, that's great. And that's the best way to get somebody to change their life is by talking. Just to be with them and yeah. listen to what their story is. Set the example. Yeah, that's great. So you were released as second counselor in the branch presidency. That's because I moved, because I bought land in Safford and moved. Okay. And what happened when you were released? Uh, well, I, I, I don't know. It's kind of, it's not as bad as losing someone through death, but I felt like a big loss. Mm -hmm. You know, I had nothing to do. It, all of a sudden, and I regretted moving. I actually didn't want to give up the calling. Sure. And, uh, but of course, it, things do follow us around and, you know, I've actually talked in church down there a couple of times and it just seems like uh, the prison ministries and, and the inmates uh, seems to come out in the conversation no matter what. <laughs> and I've met some wonderful people that appreciate what I did do. Mm -hmm. And I've actually had a, a guy, he's a member of the church, but he, the church didn't call him. He got a paid job with the state as coordinator, and he called me and asked me if I'd help out. And I, sure. Wow. So you've gone full circle. I, I'd love to help out. That's great. So just going back to a little, a little bit to recap, when you were looking at being released from the last time you were inside, were you repentant at that time? Or had you begun a repentance process, uh, do you think maybe prior to that release, that final release? Actually, I don't think I was repentant at that time. Uh, my repentant process didn't start until I made the choice to drive drunk after I'd been drinking and uh, me and my wife had been out drinking together and one mile before we got home we had an accident and she died in the accident and that that turned my life around mm -hmm. so you've certainly had an opportunity to learn about God's love for you through the atonement, would you like to address that? I would love to address that. <clears throat> the atonement in my life is the most important thing that's ever happened to me. You know, maybe some people the most important thing is being baptized. That was important. It was very important. But somewhere along the line, I went in the wrong direction, and 
after some time, I need to realize at some point that I didn't, I wasn't, I just didn't have it. The, the spirit wasn't there. I wasn't receiving anything from the spirit to to guide me. And uh, I had thought about it a few occasions. I thought about it when I was in prison that last time, but it didn't carry it out. And when I had the accident, and my wife died in the accident, uh, I came to realize that, you know, I might as well have took a gun and shot somebody. I killed somebody. It was my fault. And I needed to change my life. Mm -hmm. So I got on my knees and asked the Lord to come into my life. And it's been... It's been just uphill all the way. I, since 23 years ago when I repented and started this new journey, I have, I, I can't get enough of it. I just, the desire that I have today to help others didn't magically come to me the first week after she died. I worked my way up to that, but today, that desire is so strong, I would never believe. Except I know in my mind that I did those things. Mm -hmm. Today, I, I can't imagine doing the things I did before. Well, we sure appreciate your spending time with us to discuss the changes that you've been able to make. And I honestly believe that as we look at ourselves and we find ourselves in situations, I think your counsel is good. Did you think to pray when that thought enters your mind? And before we get into trouble, we take the opportunity to look at ourselves and think, do I really want to do that? Do I really want to go down that road? And to the youth of, the, of today, I think the youth needs to look at themselves and, and take the experiences of those who have gone before them and say, I'm not going to do that, or I'm not going to take part of this. And become the, the choice son or daughter of God that we know that we can become. Brother Ball, I appreciate once again the opportunity to spend some time with you to listen to your story. I pray that this has been impactful for many others that are out there and that you've enjoyed listening to Brother Ball and his experiences. And I hope that if you have something that you need to change in your life, you'll take this, this experience that you've been able to live through Brother Ball and, and apply that in your life. So until we meet again, uh, thank you for listening and watching to this episode of the Steadfast Podcast. Thank you. We're the Stedmans. And stay steadfast.